Gracious Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts this day be acceptable to you, O Lord. You're our rock, and you're our redeemer. Amen. Think about it for a minute. What does it mean to you to be a follower of Jesus? To be a disciple? It's a good question that we should all ask, and, and maybe you have an idea of your answer. Think of it in your head I just for, for a moment. What does it mean to you to follow Jesus? Maybe you can answer it. Some answers might be discipleship or attending church or accepting Jesus into your heart or following the commandments or you get to receive eternal life, all maybe parts of following Jesus for you. Loving neighbor as yourself, something. What does it mean to you to follow Jesus is a good question, but a better question is what did Jesus think it meant for you to follow him? If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you have to pick up your cross and follow him. I want to do a little bit of Bible teaching today so you can understand the text better. The screen highlights a couple things. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering. And if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The, the Son of Man is... It, it wasn't common, but it wasn't uncommon. Jesus' people listening to him knew what that meant. It comes from Ezekiel, where it's used over 90 times, I believe, if my word study was correct. And it refers to a human being, a son of Adam, a person human, who is God's messenger, God's speaker, God's power and mouthpiece, but human. That's Old Testament son of man, but also in Daniel, and we read that today, one like a human being. But in Daniel, the meaning changes. It becomes not just human, but divine. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, that's God, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Somehow the human becomes the divine Messiah. Just, so just grab a hold of that and think about it. That's, that's what it meant when Jesus used that word. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering. The Son of Man is God's human but divine messenger, and Jesus was the only one that used it for himself. It's used 80 times across the Gospels, 14 times in Mark, always by Jesus, never by anyone else. It's always Jesus referencing himself, and it's a term that nobody can really understand fully what it means in terms of Jesus. In Mark's gospel, the only person that seems to get close is the centurion on Jesus' death when he says, truly this man was a, you know what? Son of God, right. I heard someone say it. Good job. Gold star for you. So we get this text today. Jesus began to teach them, but there's a then there. Then he began to teach them. The context of Jesus' teaching and his proclamation today is directly follows Peter's confession. Do you remember Jesus coming to the disciples and saying, who do people say I am? And they have all these answers. Yeah, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus says, right, and then he began to teach them, and you see it on the screen. Sometimes we take that 
teaching, and we look at it and we see it as, as a prediction of what's going to happen to Jesus, and that's maybe true, but it's not simply that. What he's teaching them is, is more about who and what sort of son of man he is, what sort of Messiah he is, what sort of savior he's going to be. And because it's about the kind of savior that he is going to be, it's about the kind of disciples that follow him. What kind of disciples are they to be? In character, in nature, in being, in action, what does it mean for you to follow Jesus? It's a good question. But I think a more important one is, what did it mean for Jesus to say, follow me? Try to make some of the connections throughout the week or today. Jesus teaches who and what he is, this suffering, rejection, peace, and that he's going to die, and Peter immediately rebukes Jesus. That's not a very glorified thing. It's certainly not what Daniel was saying. There's not much honor in that kind of messianic purpose to suffer, die, be rejected. It wasn't how it was supposed to work. And so Peter rebukes Jesus and says, no, this can't happen to you, Lord. No. And then Jesus rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, which must have hurt. Greek, or it, it, rebuke, that word in Greek's a, a funny kind of word. I'm not going to pronounce it because then Pastor Eric and I would spend all week arguing about which pronunciation's the best because we think that's fun and like to do that. But I'm not going to pronounce it, but just the Greek word for chastise or rebuke means to chastise or to honor. It's the word that has both a double or a, a double meaning of both positive and negative connotation. So Peter began to rebuke, or Peter began to try to honor Jesus. You're the Messiah. This can't happen to you. Power, glory, dominion, kingship, all people, nations, languages should serve you, Lord. Not die. Jesus hears it as a rebuke. And then Jesus rebukes Peter. There's no honor here at all. Get behind me, Satan, you who would stand against God's nature. God's will, God's desire for the world. Satan, you're setting your mind. You're setting your mind. You're taking your mind and focusing it on human desire and will, which is power and glory and dominion and kingship and people serving you and honoring you. Instead of the divine desire and will, love, sacrifice, living for the sake of others. Refusing to allow division to exist and marginalization of the poor and the outcast and the alien to stand as just the way it isn't enough. I say all those things because they're all connected to Jesus' ministry, what he's actually been doing, what he's been living out with his life and why people are aggravated at him. You see, if Jesus' nature and being as Messiah, as Son of Man is suffering and sacrificial love, then that is to be the nature and character of his disciples. Peter's really saying, Jesus, this can't happen to you because if it happens to you, then it happens to me. And I don't really want to die. In fact, Jesus, I just might refuse to die. Peter's saying that in his heart. Jesus asks, what in fact can anyone give in return for their own life? Well, if you're a Jesus follower who refuses to die, then what you give in return for your own life is 
the life of Jesus. On the night in which he was betrayed and abandoned and denied, our Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it for all to drink, saying, this cup is the new covenant or new promise or new way that I'm going to give you life in my blood, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. He didn't hold it against them. Setting your mind and your being and your soul and making your purpose the divine purpose, not the human one, is hard. If anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and, and follow me. And Peter's heart is still remembering the die part, the Jesus suffering part. He couldn't hear the rest of it. Great suffering, be rejected by the elders and die and rise to new life. You see, Jesus didn't come to die. He came to give life. We say this when you die, you've been baptized into a death like his, so you will be resurrected to a life like his. This isn't something to make it possible or to give you the option or to make a convincing argument that you decide. He came to give you life so that your life is transformed. It's God's gift through the Son of Man to give you new life, and show you or lead you into another way of living. It's the way of the cross which always leads to death, but always has the promise of new life. We claim that truth. You have to hear that you're going to die or that you're dead before you can hear that you're going to live or that you're alive. To understand and Claim that as truth. You see, we think we're alive right now. That having our own needs met and our own desires met and our will met, that that's what life's about. Grabbing what we can, that that's what gives us life. But it's not. There's just death there. On the third day, rise again. There's always promise connected to dying. A death like Jesus leads to a life like Jesus. Pay attention to your heart here. What are you feeling? What are your thoughts? If you're like me, you're trying to figure out some way to get out of it. I wish I could take all your masks off now and see what your, what your face says. Oh, why did I come to church today? Are you trying to get out of it? Deny death? Well, I do do some sort of sacrifice and some sort of this and some sort of, and, and make the deal. This mustn't happen to you, Lord, because if you die and suffer and give your life for everyone, then I have to suffer and die and give myself for everyone. That's why Lent's so necessary, because it's hard to live there. It's necessary to have 40 days to prepare ourselves to try to understand that. To hear that our life, that my life, isn't about me as a follower of Jesus. 
and that somehow that's good. If anyone wants to follow behind me and walk in my way, our Lord says, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Have you ever heard anyone say something, well, that's my cross to bear? Have you ever said it? I have, yeah, I've thought it. It's, my, it's the suffering that I have to bear. But when you say that, it misses the ultimate purpose of the cross, which is to give life. Jesus promises suffering does not go on forever, my friends. And all those little deaths in life that kill us, the suffering things, that my life isn't what it should be or what I'd like it to be or hoped it would be because of this or because of that, when we're trapped in a tomb that's either of our own making or of someone else's that put us there, their own brokenness, that's a cross. That's living, bearing a cross and suffering, certainly. But people of God who follow Jesus proclaim, I am carrying a cross, but I will live. This is or might be or feels like it's killing me, but I will live. Jesus came and saw people dying on the vine of their worldly life. And he offered another way. And so he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And by that he meant, I'm the vine and you're my branches. The truly shocking thing about this text and about Jesus' prediction and about the way of the cross and what ended up happening to Jesus is not that Jesus' mission and his purpose was to die. It's that he was trying to be faithful to God's mission and plan for healing and wholeness and restoration in love to the world, and that's what's going to ultimately kill him, being faithful to God. Because he didn't have to die. I know we say he had to, but he didn't have to. All he needed to do was stop being so countercultural Stop challenging the status quo. Stop aggravating people with his unwavering commitment to meet the outcasts where they were at. To stop restoring sinners. To stop telling the religious to be more than they were. Not more religious, but more loving. More radical in their compassion, their their commitment to the world. In short, to pick up their cross and live for the sake of the world and you'll find life, real life. But it might kill you. I don't like that message any more than you do, actually. It's a hard Lenten message. It's hard because we're so in need ourselves. We're so looking for life too and for someone to give us life or take the cross off our shoulders, just like everyone else in the world. If you come to our service on Wednesday, we ask you a specific question. Center yourself, pay attention to yourself, and then think about everyone else with you and the suffering that they're bearing too. But it's a message that we need to hear, like Peter, so that we can better set our minds on the things of God instead of our own wants and selfishness. What does a cross-caring disciple look like? What does a cross-caring church look like? You can probably think of lots of ways that we 
carry crosses as church, as people, or that we put them down because they're too hard. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the good news will find it. Pick up your cross. It, it, it means live for the sake of the world until you die. Commitment, faithfulness, radical love in all we do and purpose. And it's not easy. In fact, it goes against everything that we are as humans. Peter's way of honoring Jesus is easier. And so Jesus gave us his life. He gave you his life. His body and his blood in bread and wine so that when we experience a death like his, we shall certainly know that we shall experience a life like his. That we would be assured that you can live in faith knowing that you have resurrection, new life somewhere out there. But also now. You're each going to come forward today and be invited to eat and drink and be filled with the life of Christ. It's so you can hear, pick up your cross and follow me. It's a hard anytime message, more or less, Lent, but we don't cling to the cross, we cling to the resurrection, to hope, to new life coming all the time, that the way God works always brings new life. And so we don't cling to the cross, nevertheless, it's where we live. We live in it. The broken, hurting world lives in it, and Jesus gave us to the world. And he died on the cross for you and the world. So we could see another way. The divinely human way. That God and love is present and active when you're lost, less than, dying. And that we live out of that space for the sake of the world. In dying to self, we live. In feeding, we're fed. In serving, we'll be served. In helping others grieve, we'll be able to grieve ourselves, not just in some figurative, spiritualized way that leaves the world unchanged or you, but in a real way, an authentic community way that shares love and pain and struggle and hardship and celebration and, and works tirelessly to do the same for the world so that you're never alone. And to do it until new life emerges, now or at the end of time. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus and new life will come for you. It sounds too good to be true, actually. Like it won't work. Like it's a dead-end path. But is it? Maybe it just feels that way because... The cross is heavy, and we're all afraid to carry its weight, to die, to deny ourselves and live for the sake of the world as God intended in a divine human community, living in Jesus' love. And maybe that's why Jesus finally had to just pick it up for us and give you his life.